Turn in your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to read this same text that we've been in for a while now. Verse 10, going right in. You ready? Verse 10, he gives one person, even as you're passing the bucket, and we're getting better at that. By the way, on Sundays, if you want to help us, you can sit on the end of each row, because we're going to have buckets under each row. And then all you got to do is pick it up and pass it down, and that's going to help our guys, and, then, uh, and people won't get left out. I found out we were leaving people out, like we were skipping over people in, the, in, in receiving the offering. That is terrible, but you cannot skip over people in the offering. So we got more buckets and put them under every row. Make sure everybody has an opportunity to worship God in their giving. That is very important to us. We don't want to skip people on that. Verse 10, he gives one person the power to perform miracles, another the ability to prophesy. Spent four weeks on that. That was important. He gives someone else the ability to discern. We've been talking about that for three weeks in the midst of prophecy and all the other gifts. Whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit, God forbid I ever speak from another spirit besides His. Finally, this is where we are tonight. So another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages or the gift of tongues. I just, I just want to do that. Megan's like, I just don't like that word, tongues. It just makes me think of that, that frozen cow tongue at Walmart. That's all I can think of, it, just tongues. And it's because I had a children's pastor that preached a sermon, and he, he did his whole sermon on tongues, and he held that floppy cow tongue around the whole time he was preaching. Like it was like a hanky or something. That's all I can think of. So I like the ability to speak in unknown languages or um, we'll get to that in a minute. While another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. Okay, next week I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into the interpretation. Okay, um, Which is, is, by the way, just asterisk, absolutely essential in a church service. Um, if someone interrupts a church service with a message in tongues, it is absolutely essential that there is an interpretation for that tongue. And, and listen, if God gives you the interpretation, please speak up. Because the longer we wait, the weirder it gets, okay? It is just awkward. That moment where I'm like, God, I have something, but I always talk. I know I'm not the only person in the room you're speaking to. And then somebody starts speaking, I'm like, hallelujah, thank you, Lord. If he gives it to you, man, don't be afraid. Speak up. If you want to walk up here, and so you don't have to yell, you can walk up here, and, and you can whisper it to me, and I'll, I'll help you with it. We, we, want that, we want that gift to be alive in our church. Let me also say this. We don't want that to be the only gift alive in our church. Okay, I'm going to get to that a little bit more tonight. Um, I found it very difficult and almost impossible to discuss the, the gifts of the Spirit, and specifically the diversity of tongues or the, prayer, the, the unknown languages um, without first speaking on the gift of the Holy Spirit, okay? Now let me say this. The gift of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of a personal prayer language, okay? Those are two different... Watch this. The gift of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of a personal prayer language is different from the gift of tongues with the evidence of interpretation, okay? Those are not the same thing. They're one in the same. They work together, 
but they're not completely synonymous, okay? We need to be able to deviate between the two. The gift of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of a personal prayer language is different from the gift of tongues that requires an interpretation. And good job to our media team who went to the very bottom of my notes to pull that all the way back up to the top to show that, okay? The reason that I say, the reason that you hear the term the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, is, is an actually a biblical term. And I find, I have found that more people have a problem with that term, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that is actually a biblical term. More people have a problem with that than they do the word Trinity. But did you know that the word Trinity is never in Scripture anywhere? It is a word that we use to describe something that we believe in, the Godhead, three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let me give you another one. I found that more people, more different doctrines, more people have, have issue or, or become uncomfortable okay, with the baptism of the Holy Spirit or that phrase than the word rapture, which is not in the Scripture. That word is not in the Scripture. What is in the Scripture? That we will be caught up in the air. That we will meet Him in the air. We will be caught up in the air with Jesus. And so that's an English word to describe something that is discussed in the Bible. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, we get that phrase directly from Scripture. Now I'm going to give you Scripture references. I'm going to try to write some of these down. I'm going to be all over this board. You can ask our staff. Man, I just, I just cover this thing. Okay, Luke 316, don't yell at me, you can't see it, okay? Get up at the end of service and come copy it down or take a picture with your smartphone. And if you don't have one, it is the 21st century. Flip phones are gone. Get you a picture phone, okay? Luke 316, that's one place. And then Acts, Acts 19 is another place where it talks about the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and then the whole experience is described for the very first time, I talked this Sunday even, about the importance uh, of the law of the first, okay? The law of the first. If you want to see that, I won't go into that tonight. So look with me, if you will, at Acts chapter 2. I know we're familiar with this passage, but I want to show you something in this passage that I had never really seen before. And then I'm going to explain to you why I'm speaking on it. Okay, so I'm going to read quickly verse 1, Acts 2 verse 1, on the day of Pentecost. All right, listen, very carefully, and I don't mean offense to anybody that goes to one of these churches or comes from one of these churches, but no one has a monopoly on this word, Pentecost, okay? Um, no denomination has a monopoly on the word Pentecostal. Pentecostal was not defined um, by blue jean skirts and hair buns, okay? That's not, it's not where that came from, okay? And so I know a lot of people automatically think, uh, you know, snake handlers and no makeup. That's the first thought. Oh, you're Pentecostal. You play with them vipers? No, I will shoot it in the sanctuary. I will, I will, there will be a gun sound off in the room, okay? Pentecost comes from the word 50, that's 50 days after Passover. 
the day of Pentecost in this text, okay? We have a, uh, Pastor John helps me, does this for us, that he sets up our podcast. You can go, and we defined Pentecost last June. You can go back to last June. We defined Pentecost. I'll probably preach on it this year, just like I preach on the resurrection at Easter. I'll probably preach on Pentecost on the day of Pentecost. I ain't scared. Okay, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers, did y'all hear that North Louisiana come out right there? I just did that. All the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like a roaring of a mighty windstorm or mighty rushing wind. It filled the whole house where they were sitting. Verse three, then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. That must have been cool. Never happened to me, but it would have been cool if I would have been there. I'm glad it happened for them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. Listen, this is why the law of, of first importance comes into play here. The law of the first is so essential in this passage. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them the ability. Please notice, the Holy Spirit did not make them do it. They did not go into some sort of mystical trance and then wake up not knowing what had happened. Okay, They sought the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They were seeking the promise of the Holy Spirit. That is what Jesus told them to do. In fact, He told them not to do one more day of ministry until the Holy Spirit comes upon them, until they have received the Holy Spirit. So they spoke as the Holy Spirit gave them. They spoke, really important, they spoke as the Holy Spirit gave them the ability. Okay, Verse 5, At that time there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. Devout Jews. Um, what language did Jews speak? Hebrew. Thank you. Yeah, all Jews spoke Hebrew, right? At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noises, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages. So they all started speaking in Hebrew, or they started speaking in other languages. Okay, look, all these people were from different regions in different areas. So they had different dialects, some of the same language, some of a completely different way. It'd be like the difference between going to Mexico City and being able to speak Spanish and going to Spain and speaking Spanish. There are two different ways. They communicate differently. Okay, that's what you have here. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running. They were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. Verse 7, they were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, all of those people, okay, and areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome. Verse 11, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, and we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the gospel. This was how they shared the gospel with these people. No, that's not what it says. They are not speaking the gospel. The baptism of the Holy Spirit against common belief or even some disclaimers or some explaining it away, the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues was not for the purpose of sharing the gospel. They weren't sharing the gospel. The Bible says 
They were declaring the wonderful things that God has done. They were declaring the majesty of God. Was that part of it? Possibly, probably. But they were declaring the wonderful things that God has done. Verse 12, they stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them saying, they're just drunk. That's all. Okay, so listen, watch this. Some of them, you are not going to hear someone speaking in your language that you know does not know your language and then go, he's drunk. That means the people that said that, for me, if we're pulling out of this, the people that said that, they weren't hearing in their own language. They were hearing what we hear when somebody speaks in tongues. What is that? Why are they doing that? So both of those things all of those things were happening in this very first passage. Verse 13, they're all drunk. Now watch this, verse 14. Then Peter stepped forward with the eleven. I love that passage, man. I love a sermon on this. He stood with the eleven other apostles and shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all of you fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Let me ask you a question. If tongues was given to help spread the gospel to people in their own language, then why in the world did Peter stand up and preach a sermon after the tongues was poured out? Because that's not why he gave it. They weren't declaring the gospel. They were declaring the wonderful works of God. The purpose of the personal prayer language, the purpose of the gift of the Holy Spirit, with the evidence of a personal prayer language is to edify the individual and empower them to witness. To edify the individual and empower them to witness. I brought this book with me tonight. I meant to bring it with me last, last week. Living in the Spirit um, by our, our former... Uh, general superintendent. Someone else was just voted in this past past summer. Um, Doug Clay was was voted in this past summer. But I'm going to write this book on the board. Living the no, not living the living in the. See, this is why I don't do this very often. Pastor Weston took it for a reason last week. In the spirit, Doctor Wood. Okay, our general superintendent of Assemblies of God for um, as long as I was here until last year. He wrote this book, very good book, okay? It's not like exceedingly scholarly and hard to understand. It's, it's very easy to read. It's, very, it's easy to understand. Um, I, I recommend this book if you have questions as we continue. This is really why I wanted the whiteboard tonight. Can everybody see that okay? I'll try to keep it high. There are usually two main schools of thought, okay, when it comes to the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of a prayer language. Why do you keep saying that? Well, you'll, you'll catch me in just a minute. Let me go over these schools of thoughts, and then I'll come back to why I believe, why we believe. And, and listen, let me just say, if I didn't believe it, then I wouldn't be assembly of God, okay? I'm not assembly of, I'm, I don't believe this because I'm assembly of God. I'm assembly of God because I studied this out and I found that what I interpret actually lines up with what they interpret. That's why I believe this way, just to clear the air there. Okay, two main schools of thought. Um, number one school of thought is the Holy Spirit, 
which we're just going to, we're going to call him because he's a him. He's not an it. He's a him. He's the person of the Holy Spirit, like and unto Jesus. That's what Jesus said. I'm going to send a comforter, one like and unto myself. And nobody has a problem with Jesus. All of a sudden, we start talking about the Holy Spirit and his gifts. Everybody gets uncomfortable. And the reason that we're uncomfortable with it is because we're unfamiliar Anytime that you're unfamiliar with something and something starts happening. Look, if I go this week and I paint every wall in this room and I change every chair, y'all are going to come in here, some of you are going to come in here on Sunday and be uncomfortable because I changed something. Because it's not what you're used to. It's not what you're familiar with. And anytime that something happens that you're not familiar with, it makes you uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable. I don't like it either. I just know that it's necessary. Okay. So the first school of thought is that the Holy Spirit, your field... Okay, we're just going to say at salvation. That's the first school of thought. We're addressing that tonight. Well, you're, you're filled at salvation. When you're saved, that's when you're filled. That's the promise. Okay, hang on. There's another school of thought. Okay, the other school of thought is the one that I was actually a little bit confused by for a little while. And it's actually the one that I was leaning towards when I first discovered this this baptism of the Holy Spirit, as, as John said, I baptize with water, but there's one coming after me who baptizes in the Holy Spirit and fire. It's a biblical term, Luke 3.16. And then in Acts 19, uh, the apostles ask the Ephesians, have you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? They're like, we don't even know that there is a baptism of the Holy Spirit. So they pray for them, lay hands on them. They receive and they speak in tongues. What the Bible says, don't get mad at me. If you don't like it, it's just there. I can't help but read it. So this is the other one, is that the Holy Spirit or the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues, man, it is the, the end all, okay? Or the, what do you call it? The ultimate high or the highest achievement or whatever, the highest goal, if you will, right? And, and then some people even say, if you don't speak in tongues, you haven't received the baptism of the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues, you're not going to heaven. That's stupid, okay? That, that's, that's all I can say. I don't, I just, if you believe that, come talk to me. I'm sorry, I just called you stupid. I won't tell that it was you that came and talked to me. But that's just, it's not biblical, okay? It's not the end all. It's not the highest height. Let me give you the biblical, because I don't like... I don't like extremes, okay? Even though I'm kind of an emotional guy, I don't like extremes. I like balance. Kind of like the extreme. You got these extreme liberal mentality people who think that we should tolerate sin and just go along and get along. And it's a knowledge of evil, right? That's what a knowledge of evil is. But then way over here on the other end of the spectrum is these people who are extremely staunch and legalistic, and you don't think they even like themselves, much less anybody else. You know what I'm talking about. They're religious, they're hateful, they speak in tongues, but they hadn't said anything nice to anybody in 20 years, and they've never led anybody to Jesus because nobody likes them and cares what they have to say, okay? So over here, you're loose. Over here, you're legalistic. Watch this. Here's the balance. The tree of life. Just life. The breath of God flowing in you and through you. Not the knowledge of evil and being okay with it. Not the knowledge of good and thinking that's what it's all about. No, no, no. The tree of life where you learn to love Jesus and then everything that you do is an outflow of loving him. Okay, here's, here's the balance for me, the biblical balance. 
The Bible says, we read it last week in, in 1 Corinthians 2, that the carnal mind cannot understand the things of God, okay? So here's the Holy Spirit. Remember, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. This is who we're talking about. So the Holy Spirit is the one that begins to call you. He calls you. He's the one that helps you understand your sin. He's the one that helps you recognize that you're going in a direction that you don't need to be going in. He's the one that begins to give you clarity on the word of God. And then watch this in this process. He doesn't just call you, but then he draws you to his presence. He draws you. It's by the spirit of God that you are drawn into the presence of God, that you don't have any peace outside of his presence. You know, I will pray. Can I help you tonight? This is a prayer that you can pray for your loved ones that are lost. Lord, give them no peace outside of your presence. Give them no peace. Draw them by your Holy Spirit. But as long as they continue to run from you, you give them no peace whatsoever. You do whatever it takes to call them and draw them. But watch this. But when they turn to you, may they sense the peace that they were created to live in. May they sense the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. May they experience, when this is what we pray, Lord, when they walk into their car and, and come past the trees on the street and they begin to turn into the parking lot, may they sense something about this place that they want to be a part of. The joy in His salvation found only in His presence. That's, guys, that's the Holy Spirit. That's the work of the Spirit. He draws them into His presence. And then, and then He helps us receive salvation. Okay? He helps us receive salvation. And here's, here's, the, here's the two deals. Okay? And these are biblical. Receive. I'm going to write it in a different direction. Salvation and The baptism. The one, the one that John said Jesus would give. Now look, the reason that I wrote these together is not because they're the same, but they could happen at the same time. You could see someone saved and filled all at the same time. Why do you say that? Because that's what happened in the book of Acts. That's what happened to the early church. We're in the same dispensation of grace. We need the Holy Spirit as much as we ever did. In fact, the Bible says, in the last days, I will pour out my Spirit upon all men. Okay? And then if, if the last days was the book of Acts, then what in the world are we still doing here? Are we in like a 2,100-year tribulation? I don't think so. That's not logical to me. What's logical to me is that we're still in the last days. And God is still pouring out His Spirit upon all men and women, upon all mankind. And everything that they had access to in the book of Acts, we still have access to. Everything that was available to them, to them is available to us. But although these could happen at the same time, they are not the same experience. They're just not. In in every context in which the book of Acts mentions the baptism of the Holy Spirit or people receiving the Holy Spirit, it is separate 
from salvation. Even if it happens the same time, it's not the same experience. So if I'm wrong on this, it's because I'm wrong on the fact that we are in a different dispensation of grace. That something happened between the New Testament church and our church. And I don't think that there's another testament being written right now. I think we're still bound by the same covenant in the same gospels that the New Testament church that was in the book of Acts should be the New Testament church that is in the community of Eunice. But without the Holy Spirit, we will never get done all that He desires to do. Without the Holy Spirit, we can't even understand the things of God. We can't have vision. We can't have revelation. We can't have anything. Without the Holy Spirit, we're not going to be drawn to His presence. We're going to grow comfortable with our sin. We'll drift back into our old habits again. Without the Holy Spirit, we won't receive salvation. We definitely won't receive the baptism. We won't receive a prayer language. I love one pastor, the way one pastor talked about his prayer language. That's a very down-to-earth guy, okay? We don't have to be weird and scare people with our prayer language. We need to actually understand, okay? We need to actually be cautious of the fact that this could make some people uncomfortable. Well, if it makes them uncomfortable, get off of your high horse and come back down to where you were before Jesus saved you. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that He doesn't do it for you. Or make me do it, me look like the bad guy. Because I will. And I don't like to. I always feel bad after it's over with. It's a true story. <laughs> so here's the Holy Spirit, okay? Now remember, the other end of the spectrum, that this was the highest goal. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. Speaking in tongues. Okay? As revealed in Acts chapter 4, they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 4, verse 31, that they were all together again praising God. And the room began to shake again. And they were all filled again. And they began to speak the word of God with boldness. So, we are given a prayer language to edify our spirit and empower us to speak the word of God with boldness. To be a witness. So listen, if you haven't won anybody to Jesus... Don't come and tell me that I need to be speaking in tongues more. Because when you tell me that you speak in tongues all the time, I want to know how many people you've witnessed to in the last week. How many people you're winning to Him. Because the gift of the Holy Spirit, with the evidence of a prayer language for you, was given so that you could be empowered to be a witness and that you would be continually... Did I spell that right? I think so. Continually filled. Not just once for all time, but all the time for any time that you need Him. Ephesians 2.22 The Holy Spirit in whom you also are, look at that word, being built. Okay? Present progressive. Our vision to meet people and grow closer to God. We don't want to just be in a spot. You are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. All right, listen, we believe, it's really important, we believe that a personal prayer language, Chris Fry believes, not just because I'm Assembly of God, I believe 
that a personal prayer language is the physical evidence for an individual that they have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, okay? That's what we believe. It's what I believe. Why do I believe that? Do I need to say it again just for the note takers? I don't have time to write all that. You can't wait on me. I'll write it for you. I'll give you my notes afterwards. But we believe one of our 16, one of our absolute truths in the Assemblies of God is that we believe that a personal prayer language is the sign for you. So you saying if I, if I don't pray in tongues and I haven't received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I'm saying that if you have not experienced a personal prayer language, just like for those who have experienced a personal prayer language, there's still something on the table for you to partake in. That's all I'm saying. If you haven't, it doesn't make you worse than me or me better than you. You know what my prayer language makes me better than? Me. It helps me. The pastor that I was telling you about a minute ago, he said having a, a, a prayer language is like shifting your car into overdrive. He said he had a minivan, which if you have a minivan, good for you. My wife almost got one and I found a Suburban just in the nick of time, y'all. I was about to have to minivan dad that thing. Cause anyways, so he had a minivan and he said like for, for years, he drove that thing around in fourth gear. Cause he was like, he didn't know what the O was. So he just ran it in fourth gear and just it still got him where he was going. But somebody's like, dude, why are you driving in fourth gear? Why don't you put that thing down in overdrive? And I thought, man, what a great example. What a great example of just, just shifting into another phase for you as you grow in your relationship with Jesus. I pray in my prayer language. It edifies me. The Bible says... Either someone else may understand it when I'm around them one day. And by the way, Philip and Destiny told me this story from their mouth in the youth group that they pastored about a decade ago at Evangel Academy or, or Shreveport Community in, um, in Shreveport. Uh, they were youth ministry that night and there was this girl and she wasn't screaming, making everybody uncomfortable. We've had that. I deal with that. I dealt with that in youth ministry. I told a girl to stop it. Oh, from the platform, that was not a good night for me. I said, I told you to hush. <laughs> like, everybody's like, she's never coming back, you idiot. I was like, I'm sorry. I made her cry. Megan had to love on her, apologize to her mom. Anyways, um, this person is praying. In the, she's singing in the spirit. And they had this Vietnamese. This is from the mouth of the person that was pastoring that church. This isn't a third-hand story. It's from first person. There's a young lady in there. There was a Vietnamese exchange student that came up to her after worship and said, when did you, how did you know Vietnamese? She said, I don't know Vietnamese. I was just singing in the spirit. She said, no, you were praising God in perfect Vietnamese. Awesome. That's, that's biblical. We just read that, right? Declaring the wonderful works of God, not just to share the gospel, but but to declare the wonderful works of God. That's great, okay? But 1 Corinthians 14 still also says that when you pray in a prayer language, you could be speaking mysteries into the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 13.1 says, whether you pray in the tongues of men or the tongues of angels, 
So apparently there's 3,078 dialects known to man that we know, plus the one we have. And then there's tongues of angels. So I don't know if there's just one tongue of angels or tongues of angels and how many more thousands there may be. All I know is that whatever the Holy Spirit leads me to pray, that's what I pray. And I try to spend time praying in English for other people. But when it comes to edifying myself, when I run out of English, I let the Holy Spirit pray through me. Well, what are you praying? Sometimes I don't know. Sometimes I'm speaking mysteries. Sometimes God will give me a word or a phrase or a picture. All I know, and it took me a long time. Can I just say, like, I didn't come to this conclusion overnight. Man, I studied this thing out. The reason that I believe this is because it is the biblical pattern in the book of Acts. Okay? You would have to ignore the biblical pattern, explain away the biblical pattern, in order to not believe in the physical evidence of a personal prayer language as a language that you did not learn growing up. Acts chapter 2, we just read it. Acts chapter 4, they were all filled again. Acts chapter 8, okay, is, uh, is the Samaritan experience. Acts chapter 9 is the Apostle Paul. Acts chapter 10 is another experience where they laid hands on the believers and they all spoke in tongues. And Acts chapter 19 is the Ephesians. When the Ephesians, they, what baptism have you received? Have you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Well, we were baptized in, in John's baptism. We didn't know that there was a baptism of the Holy Spirit. So they laid hands on them and they prayed in tongues. Listen, in every one of those passages, the people in every one of those passages except for one, we know for a biblical fact in every passage that those people prayed in tongues. Every single one of them. We know that Paul did because he said, I wish that you all prayed in tongues. In fact, and I had a great conversation, somebody took me up on my, on my question asking, and I encourage you to do the same. Somebody took me up on my question asking, and they asked, if tongues is so important, why didn't Paul just say that this is a biblical doctrine? Why didn't he just say, you should speak in tongues? Well, if you read the context of 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, it was almost the same as what he said about the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15. It was such a common biblical practice in the New Testament that he took it for granted. He took it as an assumption just like he didn't try to prove the resurrection, he just talked about the resurrection and he used the resurrection as the proof. In 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, he didn't address it because it was understood. Everybody was praying in tongues. In fact, it was getting out of order. Like they were just coming to church and praying in tongues at one another. So Paul had to write a letter to reel everybody back in so that they would do more than just come to church and pray in tongues. Praying in a prayer language that was not their native tongue was a common practice. It was the cultural norm. Speaking in tongues, and this is, is actually on the Assembly of God website. I looked it up earlier this afternoon in our 16 Fundamental Truths, and I don't know who wrote it, but it's on our page, and I like the way that it was said. Speaking in tongues in the instances in Acts that I just told you about, Acts 2, 4, 8, 9, 10, and 19. Here. 2, 4, 8, 9, 10, 19. There's some commas in there somewhere, okay? All those instances are places that you can go read about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's only one instance 
where the Bible does, does not say that they spoke in tongues. And it's the instance uh, with the Samaritans and Simon the sorcerer, okay? You remember this story about Simon the sorcerer? He saw the apostles lay hands on the people and impart the gift, and then he wanted to give them money for it so he could do that too. Well, what did he see? What did he see that he wanted to give to people? If they didn't pray in tongues, what did they do? Did they just start performing miracles just right there on the spot? They begin to prophesy, maybe. But if it happened in all the other instances and it was the biblical pattern, then most scholars, well, the scholars that, I, I, that line up with the biblical pattern, they say, it's pretty simple. Simon the sorcerer saw those people receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and begin to pray in a tongue or a language that wasn't their native language. So he's just like, man, I want to do that. Here, have some money. They're like, cursed are you, Simon, thinking the gift of God is bought by silver and gold. The speaking in tongues in those instances is the same in essence as the gift of tongues. It's the same in essence. Your personal prayer language is the same in essence as the gift of tongues. Here's the difference. The gift of tongues is for the public and it will require an interpretation, okay? The evidence of tongues, I read this at the beginning, remember? Comes from the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of a personal prayer language is, is the same thing in essence, but still different from the gift of tongues that requires interpretation. They're synonymous, but they're not the same. So here's the question that we have to ask, right? Why, dude, really? Tongues, come on, man. Like, why tongues? Like, do something else. Like, start calling people out. Like, you were sleeping with so-and-so last night. I just received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Just, like, start calling out people's sin. That would be sick, right? Don't look at me like that. I, I saw in my spirit you drinking that 40-ounce last night. You were... That would be... That, I would like that. That'd be cool. Don't look at me like that. I just saw the picture of that girl in your head. I was looking at you and I saw you. You need to quit looking at her that way. Did you know he was looking at you that way? How sweet would that be? Why tongues? Just trying to lighten it up a little bit. Why tongues? Okay, here's number one. This is really cool. You remember when they tried to build a tower to God and be like him? Okay, it's called the Tower of Babel. Okay, and... And God did what? To confuse them, He sent a diversity of tongues, languages. It's part of the curse. Listen, everything in the Old Testament that God had to do to get the attention of people, He comes back in the New Testament and uses it as part of His plan of redemption. So in the Old Testament, in the Tower of Babel, God sent diversity of tongues to confuse the people and divide the people. But in the New Testament, He sent the personal prayer language and the diversity of tongues to bring all those people back together again, to redeem them so that everybody could hear the wonders of God in their own language and they could edify themselves and speak mysteries into the kingdom of God, groanings which they do not understand, as Romans 8, 26 says. 
So God uses the diversity of tongues to redeem man back to their original purpose that God wanted. He did not want to send a diversity of tongues on the Tower of Babel. But from that day until the day of Pentecost, he couldn't wait to implement his plan. Put it all back together again. Why tongues? That's number one. Number two, because James says the tongue is the most unruly of the entire body. But James 3, 5, Ever, even so the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defies the whole body, defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. And it's set on fire by hell. <laughs> James is, listen, this brother didn't believe in Jesus when he is here. He is trying to make up for lost time in one book. Here's what James is saying, very simply, okay? If you can learn how to tame that tongue, then you can learn how to bring purity back to the entire body. The whole body can be purified again if you can just get control over this tongue so when you submit this thing to him and you begin to pray as the spirit gives you utterance I believe that's a step it's not the only step that make me better than you but I believe it's part of the journey I believe that it's available to every person in the room. Okay, you heard the message. I said by 8.05 we were going to do this. You heard the message. I, I don't know how else to explain it. I used, I used the Bible. I pulled some, some logical explanations out of some scriptures. I don't feel like I really twisted a whole lot. I might have turned a few things just to clarify from my perspective. But I really believe that the biblical pattern is this. Request, receive, and pray as the Spirit gives you utterance. I believe that's the biblical pattern. That's what we see happens. So it's not weird. It's not awkward. Maybe a little uncomfortable. But at the end of the day, no matter how you feel and no matter what you've experienced in the past, don't try to get the Bible to line up with your experience. You make your experience line up with the Bible. That's your backdrop. Okay? So here's what we're going to do. You've heard the message. I want some of our elders who have received and, and are confident in a personal prayer language, I just if you're on our altar team and you're in here tonight, I just want you to come and line the front on each side. Just make it as simple as we can. You don't have to come up here up front. Maybe even spread out down the sides a little bit. Okay? In Acts chapter 19, I love it. I love, I always go back to Acts chapter 19. And the reason that I always go back to it is, guys, can I just... Can I be totally honest? I really, really struggled with this. Are we still filming live? I'll wait to share that. Okay. I didn't grow up in this. This was not common practice for me. I didn't see the abuses. 
and I didn't see the beauty. I just saw something in Scripture that I thought, man, I, I, want, I want that. And Acts chapter 19 was the place on top of all the other Scriptures that I had studied where God put an exclamation mark on this belief for me. He, he sealed it for me with Acts chapter 19. They asked, have you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? They said, we didn't know. And so the Bible says that they baptized them in the name of Jesus. They laid hands on them. Watch this. When they laid hands on them, they received and they began to speak in tongues. They began to, to pray out loud as the Spirit gave them utterance. Okay, so here's what's going to happen. You're going to come. If you have never received, and even if we don't have enough people for you, that's okay. We're just going to line up all around. We're just going to actually, everybody just stand with me right where you are. Because even if you're not up here, I want you to worship. Okay, here's what the Bible doesn't say. The Bible doesn't say they laid hands on them. They prayed for them. They received the Holy Spirit. And then they begin to say, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. That's not what it says, okay? That's not what it says. It says they began to pray as the Spirit gave them utterance. Okay? What's going to happen for most of you is that you're going to hear something in your head that's not going to make any sense to you. It's going to be uncomfortable for you. You're going to have something in your spirit that you're going to want to let out. When they lay hands on you and pray for you to receive, you're, you're going to have something inside of you that you're going to want to let out, but your mind is going to go, that doesn't make any sense. Don't do that. The enemy is going to go, that's not, that's not comfortable. That's not how this is supposed to, that's not how it happened for them. Okay, but I'm telling you, I just gave you an explanation. I don't know how else to do it. Whatever you sense in your spirit, whatever you hear, when they lay hands on you and pray, I want you to pray another word of English. Whatever the Holy Spirit stirs in you, we're going to let you pray. And the only reason that we have music, we have them on the keyboard, we're going to worship, we're going to pray, we're going to, we're going to, they're going to sing for us. And the reason that they're going to do that is so that you're not uncomfortable just praying out loud in front of everybody. We're going to raise the music so that you're comfortable praying as the Spirit leads you. Okay? So I'm going to begin to pray. And if you need to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of a prayer language, if you've never received or if you need to be refilled because you've just been damaged and it's been a long time and you just need to be refilled, if either one of those are for you, we're going to all pray. Nobody's even going to be looking around. Hallelujah. See, that was the shaking, just like the Bible said. They didn't say how the shaking happened. They just said it happened. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray, and I want you to come. All right? Let's hold back in. Let's pray. As I pray, I want you to step out and come forward or step out and, and go down the side. If nobody's down the side, just go over there. It's fine. Jesus, right now, I pray that if there's anybody in here, if there's just one person, I need somebody to lead the way. Somebody will have to lead the way so that others are confident in this. We've got to break down the wall between the pew and the altar. We've got to break down the wall. Lord, I pray right now that as people come, as people step.